following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. When I was in college, uh, I took a class, and I may have mentioned this before, but I took a class called Behavioral Statistics. I was a psychology major, and I took a class called Behavioral Statistics. And what Behavioral Statistics is, is it's learning how to uh, read and understand the scientific data of a psychological study. And I know you're thinking that sounds really boring, and you are absolutely right. It is terrible. It was by far the least favorite class I have ever taken. Like, we can go back to elementary school, high school, college, seminary work. Like, this was the least favorite class I ever took. And it wasn't because the professor wasn't good, because I had that professor in other classes and loved those classes. It wasn't because it was hard. It really wasn't that difficult. I've taken way harder classes than that. But it was my least favorite class because I saw no application for it. I didn't want to go into clinical psychology. I didn't want to read scientific studies. I was thinking at that point in my life, I was thinking, well, I'm probably going to be either a cross-country and track coach or I'm going to be a counselor. I don't want to have to study the scientific data behind every weird study that comes along. So I just, I saw no application for it. And so I had no desire to use it. And so it was an absolute waste of time for me. Because here's the thing. I gained a lot of information in that class. There's some information that I can pull up every once in a while if I see a scientific study. But the reality is, and we've talked about this many times, that information is only useful to us insofar as that leads to transformation. And transformation only comes when we understand the value of the information at hand. When we are willing to accept it and implement it into our lives. Well, how's that that work for us? Well, we as, as good church folk, we can know all kinds of stuff about the Bible, about theology. We can talk about Jesus We can even talk about how we share our faith and we can talk the ins and outs of church life. And that's all well and good. But until we understand our place in that information, until we understand the value of that information, we will live without the drive to apply our head knowledge to bring about heart transformation. In verses 15 through 20 of Colossians 1, which we looked at last week, we talked a lot about the centrality of Jesus. It's this beautiful hymn that talks about the centrality of Jesus having first place in every aspect of our lives. And that's a great thing to know. We should know that truth. But just knowing that doesn't do anything. Our question should be, okay, so what do I do with that? Jesus is supposed to have first place in my life. How am I to understand that? How am I to interpret that in a way that will bring about transformation? And Paul's going to tell us in verses 21 through 23 why this is so important, why the centrality of Jesus is so important. 
And he's going to start in verse 21, where he reminds us first, right off the bat, that we are separated by sin. We are separated by sin. Let me read this, verse 21. Remember, and Paul has just given us this beautiful hymn on Jesus Christ having first place in everything. And then he says in 21, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. Let me read that again. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. Paul's providing us with a crucial building block for understanding the beauty and the depth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, you were alienated. Once you were alienated, right? The you here, if you go back to the the Greek language, remember we've talked before that the Greek language has different words for you, singular, and you, plural. This is a you, plural. He's saying all of you, all of you who profess to know Jesus Christ, all of you who read this, you, you were alienated, right? And, and again, he doesn't say you may have been alienated. The worst of you were alienated, but the rest of you are okay. No, he says you, whoever you are reading this, you were alienated. Alienated in, in some of your translations, maybe that word may be estranged. And what Paul is saying is he's, he's talking about the fact that we, by our nature, are completely foreign to the grace, the mercy, and the love of Jesus Christ. Right, you want to know what this, this alienation looks like? Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, says in Ephesians 4, verse 18 and 19, they, and here they is talking about the Gentiles who reject Jesus. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Paul says, this, this is you. You were here. Your desire was for yourself and for whatever you could get and for all that you could take. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Make me feel good this morning. Paul says, you were alienated. And then he says, you were alienated. And what else? You were hostile in your minds. All right, this alienation leads to a hostility. He says, you're not merely separated from Jesus, but you are in opposition to God because of your separation from Jesus. So you're alienated. That leads to a hostility, a a, a frustration and rejection of God. And that alienated hostility then results in what he says here, right? Evil actions, right? You are alienated and hostile in your minds. And that alienated hostility is expressed in your evil actions. He says sinful actions flow from sinful hearts. He says apart from Christ, by our natural state, we have sinful hearts, which results in evil actions, right? The deeds of our lives, the sinful acts of our lives are not the main problem that we have. A lot of times we look at what people do and we're like, well, that's a problem. They need to fix that. Yes, yes, but the action is not the problem. The problem is the heart behind the action and the same happens for us. Every single one of us, we have issues, we have sins that we struggle with, that we battle. And do we know that the sin itself is not the problem? The problem is we have idolatrous hearts that choose ourselves over God. 
which lead us to those sinful actions. We can change our behavior all we want, but that doesn't address the issue. Paul says it starts because you are alienated and hostile, and that's what leads to evil actions. I've said this before, and I will say it many, many times again. I will forever preach a grossly unpopular message to our 21st century American Christian context. And that message is that you and I are not good. You and I aren't good. We deserve nothing good. We are not good people by nature. We are sinful at our core. And because of our sin, we have nothing of value to offer God and his kingdom. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, Solomon writes, There is certainly no one on the earth who does good and never sins. And he is 100% correct. There's no one who does good and never sins. Now, that doesn't mean we can't do nice things. That doesn't mean there's nice people out there who don't know Christ. But nice and good are two different things. Because we all sin, because we are not good, that means that you and I can never earn our salvation. We can never be worthy of the salvation of Jesus Christ. We can never be good enough for God. And the minute we see ourselves as not so bad, which let's be honest, it's really easy to look at those people or those people or those people or that neighbor and go, at least I'm not them, right? At least, well, I'm better than I know I'm not perfect, but come on. The minute we start to see ourselves as not so bad is the moment we have forgotten how little sin it takes to separate us from God. We're going to have our potluck after this service, right? And, and Tom Hammer made a bunch of lemonade. Right? Let's say you go to draw some lemonade, and I don't know what the pictures are, but let's say it's in the big, you know, the big Gatorade jugs, the like, 10-gallon jugs. You're like, I'm going to get a little glass of lemon. You're like, this looks really good. And I walk by and I'm like, yeah, that does look good. Hey, I, f- I forgot to tell you earlier, I just hocked a little loogie in it. it. It's just a little one. I mean, it was slimy and gross. But it's just a little one in there. Like that whole pitcher of lemonade, there's just this little. Are you still drinking that lemonade? No. Why not? Because you understand that it only takes a touch of filth to taint the whole picture. Same is true of our hearts and the sin that we carry in our hearts. It takes one sin, the smallest, most insignificant sin you can think of, to separate us from a good, holy, and perfect God. And so for us, that means we must never lose the humility of the offensive nature of our sin before a good and perfect God. In Proverbs 11, verse 2, it says, when arrogance comes, right? Arrogance is thinking I'm better than I am. Arrogance is thinking my little bit of sin isn't really that offensive to God because it's not a big sin. When arrogance comes, disgrace follows. But humility, understanding my place before God, understanding his greatness when matched up against my futility. With humility comes wisdom. So Paul starts us off here and he says, okay, how how are you going to view your sin? Hey, Colossians, I've told you who Jesus is. 
Now, do you understand who you are without him? How do you view your sin? Do we see it as just a a little thing that we can deal with in our lives? Or do we see the separation and death that they bring? He says, we are separated by sin. But praise God that Paul does not leave us in that state of despair. Amen? Amen. Instead, he reminds us that, yes, while we are separated by sin, we are redeemed through death. Verse 22 through the first half of 23 says, we are redeemed through death. Watch what he does. He says, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Oh, this is a great, great comeback. You were separated by sin, but you are redeemed through death. Paul starts out here with the word, but, but you. How many times do we read scripture and find this massive amount of hope in this one small word, but? Yes, you are lost. Yes, you are dead to sin. Yes, you are worthless by your own nature, but you have been loved and redeemed and washed clean by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That but is a beautiful word. He says, but Jesus has reconciled you. Yes, you were separated, but your debt has been paid and you have been set free. And one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, I come back to this all the time. I'm not apologizing. I'm just telling you, I come back to this verse all the time. It's John 19, verse 30. Right, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. That Greek word, tetalistai. I love that word. Say that with me, tetalistai. Tetalistai. You should love it as much as I do. Tetalistai is this beautiful word. And it's, a, it's an accounting term that means paid in full. When you owed a debt, and you finally paid it off. They stamped on it, tetalistai, paid in full. It is finished. Jesus says your debt is paid in full. Everything that needs to be taken care of is taken care of by Jesus' body and Jesus' blood, by his sacrifice. And as reconciled children of God, Paul goes on to say that before the Lord, you are holy faultless and blameless. Now, hold on a second. What's the difference between these three words? Holy, faultless, blameless. We could dive in to like pulling these words apart and trying to figure out exactly what each word means and how it applies. But your initial reaction might be, well, aren't they kind of the same word? Yes. They kind of mean the same thing? Yes. So why would Paul say it that way? He's pointing to the perfection found in Jesus. It's not about one little aspect of your life is made right before him. It's that you are totally washed clean and every single aspect of your life is purified before a good, holy, and perfect God because of Jesus' sacrifice for you. This holy, faultless, blameless status is secured when we are grounded and steadfast and unshifted in our hope and the gospel. In our hope that 
absolutely certain expectation of the gospel. You hear often the, the phrase, the free gift of salvation, right? You heard that phrase, the free gift of salvation. It's a good phrase. I'll use it from time to time. But sometimes our idea of the free gift of salvation gets a little bit off track. Because when we talk about the free gift of salvation, we're saying that the gift of salvation is free to us. The free gift of salvation is not free because it has been unpaid for. Do we understand that? It's free to us, but it has been fully paid. Jesus brought, bought our redemption through the sacrifice of his blood. Paid the whole bill so that we can know the hope and the freedom in him. See, sin can only be paid for in blood. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the author of Hebrews says, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, we know the freedom from sin. We know that we have been redeemed only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we were separated by sin. We are redeemed through death. How do we respond to that? How, do we, how should we be thinking about that this morning? The way we respond to the fact that we have been redeemed through death that has paid the entire bill before us is with a grateful submission to Jesus. A grateful submission to Jesus. See, when we understand what Jesus did to offer us the freedom to be able to follow him, to be able to love him, to be able to serve him, then even when he gives us the commands that are hard to swallow, the things that we don't like that he tells us to do, we still do it. Not because we fully understand it, because I'm telling you, you will never fully understand everything Jesus calls you to do. But if we live in that grateful submission, that understanding of what he did to allow us to serve him, then we joyfully submit to whatever he calls us to do, even when it's difficult, right? Because is it, is it easy to hold to Jesus' view of purity and holiness? No. Is it easy to be selfless when we'd rather fight for our own way or when we feel like we deserve something better than what we've got? Nope. Is it easy to forgive as Jesus has forgiven us without any exemption whatsoever? No. So why do we do it? Because we understand that Jesus gave everything to redeem us and set us free. And since he has loved us to that extent, what is there that Jesus could ask of us that we go, that's unreasonable? If you got an answer, I'd love to hear it. I think we'll disagree. We were separated. We are redeemed. Now what? Where do you go from here? What's the application of that? 
Well, Paul reminds us as he closes out this passage with the second half of verse 23, that because we have been redeemed from our separation, then we are deployed in truth. Because we have been redeemed from separation, we are deployed in truth. Let's read the, just the last part in verse 23. It says, this gospel, right? And this is the gospel, he says, when you remain steadfast, unshifted in your hope in the gospel. He says, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant of it. This gospel has been proclaimed and I have become a servant of it. Do you remember who Paul is? Do we remember Paul's life when we read that he says this? The gospel has been proclaimed in all of creation and I am a servant of it. Right? Paul, before he comes to know the Lord, goes by the name Saul. He's an enemy of the church. He's a persecutor of Christians. He was an overseer of the execution of Jesus' followers. He was alienated from God, hostile in his mind and evil in his deeds. Is this the guy you'd expect God to use for his kingdom? Like, let's, let's pretend we got two people standing out here. One has fought the church They've talked bad about every single believer they've ever, ever met. They're prone to drunkenness and they've been arrested a number of times. And then over here, you've got the really nice person who does good things for people. Clean cut. Looks good in a suit. Right? Which one do you think God's going to use? Right? If your instinct is this guy over here, I don't think you're telling me the truth. Because we expect God to use the good people, the nice people. Paul says, hey, God shouldn't use me. God says, you know who I am. You know what I've done. You know where I've been. And yet, I am a servant of the gospel. He says, I have been, remember what we said in, in verses 1 and 2? What's Paul call himself? An apostle of God. One who is sent out with a mission, with a message from the divine. Paul says, it's not about my credentials. It's not about my abilities. It's not about my gifts. It's not about my preference. It's about the fact that God has called me. So you and I sit in the same position as Paul. Our service of God's kingdom is not about our credentials, our abilities, our gifts, or our preference. We are sent. You are sent. You have been deployed by the truth of the gospel. And I don't know what that's going to look like in your life, but you know you have been sent. You've been sent to take the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, to a lost, broken, and hurting world. If you haven't been here long, you haven't heard me bring this up yet and this is surprises people who don't know me well, right? but I am an extreme introvert. Like, again, I was a psychology major in, in college. I, I've studied counseling. I've taken every personality test you can ever imagine taking, and everyone says I am as far on the introverted side of the scale as you can get. Crowds of people exhaust me. I'm terrified of public speaking. True story. 
for me, even like going back a couple years to all the COVID lockdowns, that was not that miserable for me. I got to sit at home and hang out. Even gave me time to grow a beard, which I'd never been able to grow in my life. I'm extremely introverted, right? And I'm not a gifted evangelist. I'm not the person who just, every time I sit down with somebody, it's like this really easy thing where I transition the, the conversation to Jesus and people just come to know the Lord because I've talked to them about it. Like, I'm not gifted. I'm extremely jealous of people who are gifted at that. I wish I was, but I'm not. But here's the thing. I've been sent with the message of the gospel just as you have. And so I'm always looking for an opportunity to share the gospel. And I'm terrified every time I do it, right? Sometimes it takes God three or four times to go, Jonathan, do it. And I'm like, no, Jonathan, do it. No, Jonathan, do it. Fine. Tell him about Jesus. <laughs> it's not natural to me, but I'm always looking for ways to do it. Why? Because I understand that I've been deployed in truth. So you have the same calling. Whether you like it or not, whether that makes you uncomfortable or not, you have the same calling. You've been deployed with the truth of the gospel to take the good news of Jesus Christ to those around you. Terrified yet? Right? Okay, how do we, how do, we do that? Right? If you're like me and you're not a gifted evangelist, this isn't natural. This doesn't come easily for you. How do we do this? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about starting with prayer. You remember? I gave you a specific prayer to pray. Pray that God would give you opportunities to share your faith. Pray that God would give you opportunities to speak to people about Jesus, right? That's where we start. But what's next? I'm going to give you three words this morning to carry that out. As you continue to pray, asking God to give you opportunities to share your faith, to talk about the gospel, to talk about Jesus with people around you. Three words to follow up that prayer with, okay? Listen, love, speak. We can remember that, right? Listen, love, speak. Let me tell you just real briefly about these three words. First, listen, right? When God gives us opportunities, our first step is to hear the needs of the people around us. I think sometimes we get so into this idea of I have to share my faith that I've got to talk and I've got to tell that person exactly what they need to know. Sometimes that's not a great place to start because they're not ready to hear you because you haven't listened to them. Sometimes we just need to stop talking for a little bit so that we can hear what the need is so that the Holy Spirit can prompt us and move us to speak the truth into their hearts and into their lives. David Augsburger, who's a a theologian and a counselor and an author says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, the two are almost indistinguishable. Our first job is to listen and hear and understand the needs of people around us. So we listen and we love. Right? Love is synonymous with the word serve. Right? To love is to serve. Love is not the gooey feeling. Love is the service of another one. Love is seeking the best for another person. And if we're secure in Jesus, 
right? Then we don't have to worry about ourselves. We can sacrificially serve people around us. In Galatians 5.13, Paul wrote, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Right? Opportunity for the flesh means selfish, selfishness, selfish desires. But serve one another through love. We listen. What are the needs around us? And then we love, we serve. And then number three, there's speak. Speak. When the time comes, we do have to speak. We have to use words. I've shared this with you many times, but it's, it's one of my favorite things to go back to. And there's that saying by St. Francis that you preach the gospel always, and if you must, use words, right? But St. Francis never said that. There's no documentation of him ever saying that ever in, the, in, in his entire life. Now, I think that's a, I think that's a good phrase. Preach the gospel always, and if you must use words. But I would change it to say this. Preach the gospel always, and when the time comes, use words. Because we can be nice people, and we can love people well, but at some point, we have to speak the truth. They have to know why we are listening, why we are loving. If we never speak the name of Jesus to people, they will never know who he is. Starting with this kind of lifestyle idea is great. It's an awesome place to start. It's a beautiful way to gain the opportunity to speak truth, but we have to be ready to speak. And you may go, well, how do I do that? Right? And we come back to this all the time. There's an 11-word gospel. I'll teach you 11 words where you can always share the gospel. Jesus lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously to deliver us completely, right? And if you're here more than three weeks, you will hear me say that eight times. Jesus lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously to deliver us completely. The entire gospel is encapsulated in those 11 words. Yes, we can pull those out and we can go deeper into any part of that. But if you go, I don't know how to share the gospel with anybody, 11 words, you can remember 11 words. I promise you, you can remember 11 words. Maybe you go, well, I don't really, I'm not really comfortable with those 11 words. Okay, what's your story of faith? How did you come to know Jesus? What has he done in your life? What has he done in your family? You can share your story. You can tell people about what God's done in you, through you, for you. But here's the thing. There will come a point where we have to speak. Are we bold enough? Are we ready to do that? Because the whole, this whole idea of listen, love, speak, comes back to the fact that we are all meant, every single one of us is meant to be an active participant in the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have called upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are called not to be a passive bystander, not to be a part of the spectators watching the game. You are called to be an active participant in the kingdom of God. Let me ask, are we living as those who keep to ourselves, who just don't want to cause any waves? Or do we live as those deployed in power and in truth? 
when we honestly examine the state of mankind, of the world around us, even of our own intentions and our, our own desires, we recognize that our salvation can, can never be a matter of, of our worth or what we deserve or what we bring to the table. It is always a matter of Jesus' work accomplished fully and completely according to his love, which makes us acceptable to God. And our best efforts then are not a means of earning our salvation, but a response to the freedom and the joy and the hope that can be had when we accept that freely offered gift of redemption through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We were separated from God by our sin. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus through his sacrificial death so that we can be deployed in the strength of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the truth of God's eternal kingdom. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may we drink deep of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not as an intellectual pursuit of information, but as a heart-level source of transformation in our lives. Let our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior drive us to live out the love of our perfectly heavenly Father as we as we share his grace and his mercy through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. As we share that with our own hearts, as we share that with our family of faith, and as we share that with those around us who desperately need to know the eternal life of faith in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we are so grateful for your love and your grace and your mercy. We're thankful for the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful that while we, by our own nature, are separated from you because of the sin in our hearts, that you have seen fit not to leave us in our despair, not to leave us in that state of lostness, but to love us even more incredibly by offering your perfect son to pay the penalty of our sin, to pay it in full so that we can know you and love you and serve you with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And Father, we pray that as we look at the week ahead, as we walk out of here, that we wouldn't walk out the same, we would walk out transformed that we would remember the depth of the gospel and that we would go as those sent to bring the good news of the redemption and restoration of Jesus Christ to a world that, that will find it nowhere else because it exists nowhere else. And we thank you for making yourself known to us. We pray now that we'd have the strength to make you known to those around us. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.